Well, happy Mother's Day. No one says that back to me. That's, that's, that's fine. You shouldn't. I don't know if I was expecting that or not, but um, today is a, is a wonderful day. I'm excited to, to preach on Mother's Day. Uh, Pastor Tony is out of town, and uh, I, I feel like a Mother's Day is, is a difficult day to preach. And so for that, maybe uh, pardon me wants to, to kick him a little bit. But at the same time, I believe Mother's Day is a wonderful opportunity to share God's Word and to offer some encouragement uh, to, to everyone. Today, if you're not a mother, uh, please don't check out because today's message, I believe, is for everyone. If you have a copy of Scripture, if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We'll uh, look at the story of a wonderful lady in Scripture by the name of Hannah today. And we'll see what God has for us this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I've entitled the message today, The Longing of Her Heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to bless His Word. Father, we come to You now, Lord. We pray, God, that You would use this time as we've gathered, Lord, to, to encourage us, God. We pray that You would speak to us through Your Word, God. I pray that You would... Uh, Anoint the preaching of your word today, God. I pray that you would use me. Lord, I pray, God, that uh, you would speak to hearts today, God, wherever wherever someone finds himself, Lord, uh, in their walk and their journey with you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, minister to people today, Lord. And only you can do that, God. I'm but a, I'm but a humble vessel, Lord, before you, God. Uh, I need your help today, Lord. Uh, thank you for your grace uh, and your word, Lord. We pray this in your good name. Amen. One writer says, I have heard it said that having a child is like having your heart walk around outside of your body. How a mother aches to protect her child. And yet all the while, from infancy to adulthood, a good mother is training her child to move ever more away from her. To need her less and less. Mothers love and long for their children. Their hearts ache for them, over them. A woman bleeds when she gives birth, but that is, the only, that is only the beginning of the bleeding. A heart enlarged by all a mother endures with and through her child's life. A mother prays and works and hopes for her child's behalf. That heart bleeds too. Uh, I believe, uh, and I, I can't speak from experience, but I believe being a mother is one of the most joyous things the most joyous realities that uh, I have no touch with in my heart because obviously I'm not a mom. Yet, to be a mother also, I believe, is a call to suffer. It's a call to suffer. Motherhood is filled with aches and pains and agonies and trials and hardships. Your child suffers. You suffer in childbirth and child raising. And really, I think the... The reality of that, the, the reason for that is we live in a fallen world. Plain and simple, we live in a fallen world. The truth is, by nature and by choice, your child is born into sin. You are born into sin. Dads, you're born into sin as well, by nature and by choice. Your child has to deal with everything. We have to deal with everything that comes along with the fall. Maybe your child loses a pet. That's a difficult Maybe your child loses a friend. Maybe your child loses a grandparent that they held dear. Maybe your child has lost a parent. And maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe your child is diagnosed with a difficult, rare disorder. Maybe they're diagnosed with a disease. We live in a fallen world. Maybe your child makes a terrible moral failure and haunts them forever. Maybe you're sitting in the courtroom as a gavel drops and you see your child pronounced guilty. Maybe your child loses everything in a storm or maybe they, they get laid off. They lose everything in a job situation or maybe they lose everything in a divorce. We live in a fallen world and it's difficult. Maybe today you're here, you're brave. You came to church on Mother's Day, but you've lost a child. For that, I'm so sorry. Because we live in a fallen world. Maybe you're here today on Mother's Day. It's hard for you to be here today. And you've lost your mom. For that, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. 
Mother's Day can be tough. Maybe you want more than anything to have children. And you're unable to. That's difficult. We still today can, in the midst of the fallen world that we live in, we can find that God is good. I'm going to say that again because I need more amens than that. In a fallen world that we live in, we need to be reminded still that God is good. But not only do we live in a fallen world, but we live in a cruel world. The world not only is fallen, but it's cruel. And parents, you you ache because of the cruel world that comes against your child sometimes. Maybe your child is wrongly accused. Or maybe your child gets rejected or bullied. Maybe they're picked last on the playground. Maybe your child doesn't make the cut. Maybe your child gets an, an F on a paper. Maybe your child gets dumped. And they cry and they agonize over that. Maybe your child gets fired. Maybe your child goes to school in a new area, in a new town. As your family moves to a new area, in a new town, the summer before your child's sixth grade year. And your child is an awkward, strange sixth grader. He has real mushroom-like poofy hair. He's got horrible glasses. And he goes to school on that first day. A couple of the girls think he's cute. And all the guys think he's a loser. And maybe throughout the year of that first sixth grade year, as you move into a new town, some of the guys get together and they start a hate rod club. Man, that's got to be tough. And you come home and you cry. A couple of the girls think you're cute, but you don't want Stephanie to like you. You want Nathan to like you. Speaking from experience, if you hadn't caught on. The sixth grade was tough. We live in a cruel world and junior high reminds us of that. You know, I don't want to start too much on a, on a sad note, on a, on a bummer note. So I do want to offer some... Some, uh, some wisdom from children because we can, we can, we can learn a lot from our kids. Uh, some questions were asked, some school aged children. And, uh, these, these questions are serious, good questions that you need to make note of these and, and remember these, these answers. One question was, why did God make mothers? One child said, she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. <laughs> or another answer was, mostly to clean the house or to, to help us out. When we were being born, like, help us out, you know. (laughs) How did God make mothers? He used dirt, just like the rest of us. Or magic, plus superpowers, and a lot of stirring. God made my mom just the same like he made me. He just used bigger parts. Oh, here's another question. What ingredients are mothers made of? God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one dab of mean. (laughs) This could be true, right? So still, what ingredients are mothers made of? Uh, They had to get their start from men's bones. Then they mostly used string, I think. What did God give your mother and not some other mom? We're related. God knew she likes me a lot more than other moms like me. What kind of little girl was your mom? My mom has always been my mom and none of that other stuff. Another kid says, I don't know, I wasn't there. But my guess is that she was pretty bossy. They say she used to be nice, one child said. Another question, what did mom need to know about dad before she married him? One child said, his last name. (laughs) One child said, she had to know his background. Like, was he a crook or did he get drunk on beer? One child said, does he make at least $800 a year? (laughs) And did he say no to drugs and yes to chores? (laughs) Why did your mom marry your dad? My dad makes the best spaghetti in the world, and my mom eats a lot. (laughs) Listen to this one. Same question. Why did your mom marry your dad? 
she got too old to do anything else with him. And this is the best one here. My grandma says my mom didn't have her thinking cap on. Here's the question. Who's the boss at your house? My mom doesn't want to be boss, but she has to because dad is such a goofball. Who's the boss at your house? Again, mom. You can tell by room inspections. She sees the stuff under the bed. Another child said, I guess mom is, but only because she has a lot more to do than dad. Nothing? Nothing? No? Nothing? What's the difference between moms and dads? Moms work at work and work at home. Dads just work at work. There's some moms in here that are like, "Mm mm-hmm. Right? Moms know how to talk to teachers without scaring them. That's the difference between moms and dads. Another difference between moms and dads, dads are taller and stronger. But moms have all the real powers because that's who you got to ask if you want to sleep over at a friend's house. Moms have magic. They make you feel better without medicine. What does your mom do in her spare time? Mothers don't have spare time. Um, to hear her tell it, she pays bills all day long. That's what mom does in her spare time. What would it take to make your mom perfect? This child says, on the inside, she's already perfect. Outside, I think maybe some kind of plastic surgery. <laughs> all right, we're not going there. So same question, what would it take for your mom to be perfect? One child said, diet. Then he said, well, hold on, time out. He said, you know, her hair, I diet. Maybe blue. If you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? She has this weird thing about keeping my room clean. I'd get rid of that. This one kid said, I'd make my mom smarter. Then she would know that it was my sister that did it and not me. I would like for her to get rid of all those invisible eyes on her back. As we look today at 1 Samuel chapter 1, um, the story of a mom, the story of a lady who had all the, the, the anguish in her heart and all the joy in her heart that mothers have. As you turn, as you're there, maybe hopefully First Samuel chapter 1 in the Old Testament. Let me just give you some background of what's going on in, uh, in the grand scheme of things here, in the history of, of the nation of Israel. This is the time in between the judges and the unified monarchy. There was a time where a judge would come and they would rule the nation of Israel. Now, God would, would have this kind of circular thing going on in the time of judges. What happened is the people of Israel would sin. They would fall into a sin. And then God would send a nation or an army or something else to, to send judgment onto his people. And then they would cry out for mercy and they would cry for help. And God would send a judge and that judge would raise up, lead the nation to victory, lead the nation to repentance. And there would be a time of peace. But that wouldn't last very long because they'd fall back into sin again. And then God would send another nation, another whatever to cause them to, to, to bring them to judgment and they would repent and God would raise up, up a judge to lead them and it would just go over and over and over like that. And you read about judges like Shamgar. Everybody knows about Shamgar. And you read about Deborah. You read about Samson, Gideon. Some of these heroes in Scripture are found in the book of Judges. Well, towards the end of Judges, we have um, one story is the, is in, in the book of Ruth. It's a, t- it's a story during the time of Judges. And another story is the is this story of, of Samuel and where De- King David comes onto the scene, where Samuel is the one who anoints David as the king of Israel. And this is the time before the united monarchy, before there was a split, before there was a northern kingdom, before there was a southern kingdom. This is before all the exile happened, where all the nation would go and, and get captured or exiled by the Babylonians or the Syrians. This is a time where it's, it's, it's pretty good. Samuel was a judge. Samuel was a prophet. Samuel's mother is Hannah. And we'll look at the life of Hannah today. Verse 1 says, There was a certain man, certain man of Ramathium Zophim, or in, anywhere else in Scripture that's short, you'll find it called Rama. And so anytime you see Rama, that's what that place is talking about. Of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, 
the son of Zuf, he was an Ephrathite, okay? He had two wives. The name of the one wife was Hannah. The name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. So what we have here is we have an introduction of some of the characters here. Elkanah was a direct descendant of Levi. And by, by rights, his descendant, he himself could be a, a priest. Because only the people of Levi, only the Levites could be priests. Um, he had two wives. Now you think, well, what, what's going on with the whole two wives things that happened in Scripture? Well, let me make a statement about that. Um, two wives... Uh, multiple wives was never sanctioned by God in Scripture. And any time you find where there was multiple wives in Scripture, there was always heartache going on around it. There was always anxiety going on around it. There's always problems there because there was multiple mother-in-laws. <laughs> my wife is rolling her eyes at me probably, or she should be. I love my mother-in-law. I wish she was here. I, would, I wouldn't have said it. She was. <laughs> now, the issue here with two wives as well was... Um, Elkanah was a man, he was a, he was a, he was a well-to-do man, but his posterity was bound up in whether or not he was having sons. And the inability of someone to have children in this day and time was considered a curse. If you couldn't have kids, it was considered a curse. And where that came from was Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 13. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 13, uh, talks about the Lord blessing. He says, he will love you. He will bless you. He will multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. If you're a family in this day and time and you had trouble with your crops and you didn't have kids, you were considered cursed. So we have this man with his wife, Hannah. She's mentioned first. I believe she was his first wife. We see through the story that he has great love for her. He also has the second wife. Hannah was his first and favored wife, but she was unable to have children. Peninnah was the second wife. We find that she's not real pleasant. She's this jealous second wife. She's jealous because it's clear that Elkanah has this love, this appreciation, this deep abiding love for Hannah. That he just simply doesn't have for his second wife. Now, Peninnah antagonized and she belittled Hannah all the time. Now, you've got to think, like, this is, this is very difficult for Elkanah and Hannah to have this situation of another wife in the house. Like, Elkanah, he didn't just come home and say, Hey, hey babe, I brought something home. Hope you like it. Second wife. You okay with that? No, there was this, there had to have been this agonizing conversation year after year about this. And they would sit down and they would cry together because they can't have kids. And they say, what do we do? Like your whole livelihood, your whole future resides in whether or not you can have a son. I don't know what to do. I can't have a son for you. And so there's this deep agony for both of them. And they went back and forth and they went back and forth. And what are we going to do? And I guarantee you it's probably Hannah. Hannah probably came up to him and said, you have to just get another wife. And Elkanah probably scooted back from that and says, well, I love you. I want you. I want you to be my wife. I need you. And there's this deep agony, I believe, from both of them. This whole situation. But Hannah realized the importance of her husband to have a son. And I believe that she relented and said, you need to go get another wife. So you can have kids. We can see that this man is devout. In verse 3, it says, This man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. This would be about a 15-mile trip from where they are, year by year, to offer this peace offering. And he was very devout. Every year he would take this trip. Every year at the time of the peace offering, he would go and he would make this offering. So we find that he's, he's a devout man of God. His love for the Lord, this sacrifice, is, uh, part of it was burned, part of it was given to the priest, and part of it was given to the people. It was a time of celebration, it was a time of feast. It was a good time. 
the Lord of hosts. When you see, it says this man went up year after year to the city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts is Shiloh. This term Lord of hosts, this is the first time that it's used in scripture. Now, when you when you, when you see the term Lord of hosts used, it's like the, the person that's using it is including the, the reality that God is in command of all the angel armies. That all the heavenly hosts are at his disposal. And so there's this great might and strength, almost like a, a military strength that comes along with calling God the Lord of hosts. I'm not sure if you've prayed lately to the Lord of hosts. But when you do pray to the Lord of hosts, you're praying to a strong, mighty God. And maybe you should say, Lord of hosts, I come before you now. And then pour your heart out to God. So Elkanah would come and he would worship and he would offer sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. Now, multiple times in Scripture, Lord of hosts is used. Here's this great idea of a multitude of angels. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 through 12, we find John the Revelator seeing a, a, a part of the Lord of hosts when he sees. And he says, then I looked. And he's seeing this with his eyes. God is bringing him to a place where he's seeing these things. Then I looked and I heard around the throne... And the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. John saw the Lord of hosts as these myriads and myriads of creatures Angels around the throne. This is the Lord that Elkanah is praying to. Verse continued in verse 3. And he would go up to this place called Shiloh. Where two sons of Eli. Now Eli, say a little bit about him. You find later on in scripture that Eli's. He's not the greatest guy. He's not the, the, the best guy. He makes some pretty terrible decisions. He makes some bad parenting moves. But also his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were priests of the Lord. Now the Bible says later you find out that Hophni and Phinehas, they are worthless. They're out like getting prostitutes in front of the temple and they're uh, stealing from the offerings and they're like taking the best parts of things. That they don't, that they're, they're these bad guys. And God pronounces judgment later Both of them die the same day. And when Eli hears about his sons, later on you can read this. When Eli hears about his sons, that they died in one day, he fell back from his chair and broke his neck. And he died that day as well. So God denounces Eli and his house. And God moves on. Verse 4. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 4. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. I mean, there's got to be some days where this is like worse than Jerry Springer stuff going on here in this, in this house. The second wife... She's provoking her. She's irritating her. She's making little jabs at her. She's reviling her. She's saying bad things about her. Maybe she's, uh, maybe Hannah's got certain things she has to do and, and, and Peninnah would come behind her and mess something up. That she, I mean, all the time this was going on. But you never find ever in this account of this woman, Hannah, never do you find her making some big defense or like fighting back. You never see it. She's the bigger person here. By far, she's the bigger person here. Sometimes we need the guts to not fight back. There's a movie recently out about Jackie Robinson. His coach said, or his his friend said, sometimes we need the guts to not fight back. And why? It's because the Lord is our defender. The Lord, like we sang, is our shield. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord fights our battles for us. So sometimes... We need to take note of Hannah and we're falsely accused or when someone's irritating us or antagonizing us or hurting us. Sometimes we don't need to put on this outfit of Mr. Defense and knuckle up and fight back. Sometimes we need to be humble and we just need to say, the Lord is my defender. And I believe that's what Hannah did.
Let God fight your battles. Verse 7. So it went on year by year. Year after year after year, this went on. Hannah was in this war with the second wife. She still could not have kids. Year by year, Elkanah would, would worship and offer sacrifices. And he would love his wife, Hannah. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. But Hannah wept and would not eat. So when Hannah would go up, when they would go up to Shiloh, when they would make this trip 15 miles up, the second wife, Peninnah, would bring all of her family, her kids with her, and Hannah would come up. And that whole trip was a grievous trip. That whole time was very difficult. And she would go up and she would make that trip and she would weep and she would not eat. It was difficult. She was in deep anguish. Deep anguish. Her heart longed for God to give her a son. Longed for God to bless her. Bless her. Longed for that. Year after year after year. Maybe you're in here and there's a deep longing in your heart for God to do something. Maybe you're in here and your, your child is, is older and they're wayward. They're, they're far from God. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and there's a deep longing in your heart. And year by year by year you pray. Keep praying. Keep going up to the Lord. Keep coming before God with your anguish, with your heart. Keep doing that. Maybe you long to have a child and and you haven't been able to. Year after year after year. Keep coming to the Lord. Keep making that trip up to Shiloh where God is found in your heart. And keep coming before Him with the longing in your heart. Now, let's be honest, guys. There's longings in our heart as well. Keep making that trip. Keep coming up to Shiloh. Keep coming before the Lord with the longing in your heart year after year after year. Keep coming before the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 40, 1 through 3, something that Hannah simply could not say. The psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Hannah is simply not there where that psalmist is. Many of you in this place today are simply not there. You can read that psalm and you can say, I can't say that. If that's you, then you need to make that trip up to Shiloh year after year after year. Cry out in anguish before the Lord and trust him and trust God. Wait for him. In verse 8, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? You see this anguish here in this family. And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? See, this says a lot about Elkanah. He's not just saying, hey, you know what? I'm pretty great. I'm pretty awesome. Come on now. Quit crying. It's not what he's saying here. Yeah, Hannah, there's a sense that there might be a curse involved in her life because she can't have kids. But the curse also is for Elkanah here. He's the one that doesn't have an heir. He's the one that doesn't have a son. He's the one that all of his future, all his posterity, everything about him is bound up in whether or not he's going to have a son. So he's coming to her with anguish in his heart as well because his wife has fallen apart. Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why are you crying? Why, are you, why is your heart sad? You can see this great love that they have for one another. Sometimes you might go through a time where your spouse is walking on nails. Your spouse is dealing with something that you simply don't understand. You need to have a love for your spouse to walk with them. You know, a lot of times um, 
husbands, when there's a difficult situation with our wives, we want to try to find a way to fix the problem. Like, that's, that's how we're wired. Like, why are you not eating? Why are you sad? Why are you weeping? What about, aren't I better than ten sons for you? But sometimes we can't fix the problem. Sometimes God's got to fix the problem. Sometimes we, we can't offer a solution to the situation. Sometimes we just need to walk beside the ones that we love. Walk beside them in their journey through the valley. When they walk through the valley, they need to know that we're with them. And we don't have to say, well, I got the valley figured out for you. We just need to shoulder by shoulder walk with them through the valley. That's what Elkanah is doing with Hannah. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. This is, they're here in Shiloh. They've made the trip. She's weeping. Her heart is sad. She, wrote, she rises up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Why don't we do this? When there's a longing in our heart, why don't we simply just try to deal with it some other way? Hannah has a situation in her life, but she rose up, she prayed to the Lord. Why don't we go other places? So for year after year after year, there's somebody in this room, there's a longing, there's an anguish in your heart about something, and yet you seem to just go other places to deal with it. And I don't know what that other place is for you, whether there's some kind of recreation or some kind of something found in a pill, I don't know. You should go to the Lord. Go to Him. Go to the God. Go to the Lord of hosts who commands like that. Angel armies are at His disposal. We need to go to the Lord with our issues. We need to go to the Lord with our problems. And come before Him. And come before Him. And keep coming. And weep before the Lord. Let your heart be exposed before God. Be honest with God with what, 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 what you're longing for. And come before the Lord and pray. And she did. She wept bitterly in distress and prayed to the Lord. In verse 11. And she vowed a vow saying, she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction, that's a strong word right there, the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now this seems kind of obscured for a lot of us when that seems something out of left field there. Like what is she trying to want her, her son to be on Duck Dynasty or something? Like, like what does this mean? No razor shall touch his head. What she's saying here is she's going to commit to the Lord and she's going to commit to herself as a mother that the deepest, truest way possible. And she's committing her son through the Nazarite vow. This Nazarite vow is, is a vow where the, your, your child would not cut their hair, they would not drink wine, and they would not get near a dead body. Now, this is kind of obscure to us. I mean, culturally, we don't really understand what's going on with this. But this is serious stuff. For, for a woman to say, I will give my son to the Lord, I will commit to him the vow of Nazarite. She's saying, the longing of my heart is for a son. What I want more than anything is a boy, a son. And if you give me a son, I will turn around and give him to you, Lord. That's serious business right there. That's a serious prayer before God. Last week we had baby dedication. And I hope and I pray that if, if you have dedicated your babies to the Lord, your children to God, that your heart would reflect Hannah's heart in that. That God has given me this child to raise in faithfulness in the Lord. And I want to turn around and trust my child to the Lord. Lord, do whatever you want to with my child. Whatever. You're not a baseball star, but you sure want your son to be a baseball star? Well, maybe God wants your son to be a pastor. Let the Lord have His way with your children. Whatever he wants to do, commit your children to the Lord. Com complete, committed dedication to the Lord is what Hannah is 
offering here. As she continued to pray before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. So she's praying. This is taking a while. Eli's up there in age a little bit. He, he observes her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. So she was praying in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. What's wrong with her? I've got to get her out of the temple. She's causing problems. That's what Eli's thinking. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away. But Hannah answered and said, no, no, no. Look, it's not that at all. She was in such deep anguish that the priest thought she was drunk. The priest, and here's the interesting thing about that. He never saw somebody crying out to God like that before. He's looking at this and like, this, this has got to be a problem here. She's got to be on drugs. She's got to be drinking. And see, Hannah didn't care what anybody thought about her. She was coming before God no matter what anybody thought. And the priest, somebody that you got to tread lightly around sometimes. She was crying out, praying to the Lord, and the priest thought she had been drinking. It's a shame that the priest of God never saw anybody pray like that before. Anybody ever seen you pray like that? Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. But I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. We can say that Hannah's troubled. But Hannah has gone to the right place. She's coming before the Lord. Eli answered her, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have made to him. Now, this petition prayer, I just want to take a side note, a little tangent here, and talk a little bit about prayer, if I could. That's okay. Um, I believe there's several different types of prayer. We have prayers of adoration and we sing certain types of prayers of adoration where we adore God. We say, God, you're wonderful. Hallowed be your name. We come before him uh, with our with our expressing of praise and adoration. We have prayers of confession. And I think a lot of times for a lot of us, when we come before the Lord in prayer, it's this kind of uh, scared little confession time because there's sin in our life. There's sin in life that we're not proud of. And when we really come to times where we want to pray, we come before God and we're kind of, we feel guilty. We feel shame. And so we, we just pray, Lord, I'm just, I'm just worthless. I'm just useless because of my sin. There's sin in my life and I can't seem to get past it. And we, we're beat up all the time because of our sin. And really the only time we pray, some, some of us, is just prayers of confession. Just here and there, whenever we've done something really bad that we feel bad about. And we're just going to pray prayers of confession. God, please forgive me. A lot of times we're honestly, a lot of times when we ask for forgiveness, we're seeking something for ourselves. We're not seeking the glory of God in our confession of sin. We're seeking that we don't get caught or we don't get in trouble from our sin. And there's prayers of intercession. I believe we need to do this more. I think that we do this well and in, in, in sometimes when we have intercessory prayer, we're praying for other people. And we, we need, there, there needs to be more of that across the aisles here in the hallways. When somebody's got an issue going on, saying, you know what, I'm just struggling with this. Well, I'll pray for you. And you pat them on the back and they walk off. We need to pray for one another more. We need to lift each other up more. We need to pray for one another. Put your name on the prayer list. We'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Come to me, I'll pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. We're commanded to pray for one another. Praise God, the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Jesus is praying for us. But we have a different kind of prayer here. Hannah is praying a prayer of petition. This prayer of petition. Where Eli says, go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition. This prayer of petition is simply asking for something. And, and I think sometimes we feel too guilty. Like we don't need to do that. We feel like we can't say, God bless me. God, will you please do this for me? Now, some of us, that's all we pray. Maybe you're in college and you've got a test coming up and all you ever do is pray over your Scantron. You pray over your blue book or you pray over your test. Lord, please give me an A. You don't pray, Lord, please give me the grade that I uh, am prepared to earn or anything like that. We pray prayers of petition. 
Hannah's got a prayer of petition. Verse 18. She said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Listen to this. Then the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. She didn't feel a little tickle in her womb because the Lord granted her a a child? No. She simply got to the point where she believed God and her face was no longer sad. The longing of your heart, mother, dad, father, man, woman, whatever, young person, the longing of your heart, whatever that is, Pray, pray, pray. But then get to the point where you believe God. That you say, this is in the lap of the sovereign God of the universe and I trust Him with it. And eat. And brighten your eyes. Lift up your head. Trust God. She left that day with hope. She left that day with peace. She left that day with faith. Her heart was transformed that day. She believed God. Earlier, she couldn't proclaim with the psalmist what the psalmist was saying. Today, at this point, she could proclaim with the psalmist as the psalmist says in 139. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark for you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is light to you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it. Very well. My frame was not hidden from you. Even when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When I was yet, when there was yet none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Hannah's heart changed. She trusted God. She had peace. She had hope in the midst of her longing, in the midst of her struggle. Eli the priest didn't give her a son. Eli the priest gave her hope. Verse 19, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we pick back up. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house of at Ramah, where they're from. Now, Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she named him Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The longing of Hannah's heart was satisfied in the boy Samuel. Just all across this room, we've got to understand that the Lord satisfies the longings of our heart. He does. He simply does. Whatever the longing of your heart is, the Lord satisfies. Come before Him. And we find later in the story, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him. Now this is maybe about three years three years old. So that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you and wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, 
She took him up with her son, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slaughtered the bull. And they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child, I prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. She dropped her three-year-old son off at the temple in Shiloh and she went home. Year after year, once a year, she would go up. She would bring things to her son. She dedicated Samuel to the Lord at Shiloh. And Samuel grew. Hannah had a longing in her heart. Samuel satisfied that longing. Honestly, we all have a longing in our heart. The Lord provides for the satisfaction of the longing in our heart in Christ. Everybody in here, you have a longing in your heart that needs satisfaction, and that's found in Christ. Samuel is an Old Testament parallel to Jesus. Their births were both announced in advance. Eli told Hannah, go in peace. The angel Gabriel told Mary, you shall conceive. Both ministered in the house of the Lord at an early age. Samuel was lent to the Lord at an early age. Jesus was found sitting with the teachers, asking them the questions in Luke chapter 2. Both grew, the Bible says, in stature and favor with both God and man. 1 Samuel 2.26, you can read that. says that he grew in stature and favor with God and man. Luke chapter 2 verse 52 says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Both were prophets. 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 21, the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. Jesus said over and over in the Gospels, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Both were judges. The Bible says that Samuel judged all of Israel. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 verse 31 that Jesus has fixed a day when he will judge the world. And both satisfy the longing of hearts. Samuel satisfied the longing of Hannah's heart. And Jesus today satisfies the longing of our hearts. I don't care if you're a teenager. I'm not just talking to mothers today. I'm talking to everybody today. Jesus can satisfy the longing of your heart. You've come week after week. Maybe this is your first time here. And there's there's a little... Gap. There's a little hole inside of you. You feel like there's something missing in your heart. There's something missing in the deep places of who you are. I'll tell you what's probably missing is Jesus. He's what satisfies. And you need to come to Him. And let Him satisfy the longing of your heart. Jesus satisfies today. Today. I think a lot of us come to church year after year after year, after year. But we never walk away transformed. We never walk away satisfied. Maybe today you need to quit making that trip to church. And today you need to be making that trip to Jesus. And be satisfied today. Come receive salvation. Come receive repentance. Just come. Come receive. Maybe you're desperate to have a child. Jesus satisfies that longing in your heart. And maybe he has it in your future to experience the miracle of adoption. What a great picture of the gospel in the miracle of adoption. Maybe you can't have children today because God has the longing of that part of your heart to be satisfied through adoption. Maybe you're just desperate for anything. I would say today, you need to trust God today. You need to worship God today. Come to the Savior today, women and men, young and old. Why wait? Bring your life today. Bring your heart today. Come before the Lord. Let Him satisfy the longing of your heart. And as you pass on the legacy of faith, mothers, I want to say thank you. Thank you for 
loving your children. Thank you for some of you ladies in here. Thank you for, in a sense, mothering me and mothering the church. The church would not be the same without faithful mothers here today. I thank you from the deepest parts of who I am. Thank you. What would the church be like if we didn't have mothers passing on the legacy of faith? Travel through some of the kids' Sunday school classes. See some of those moms being motherly in there, telling about Jesus. Go back to the nursery. See some of those moms being motherly in there, telling those kids about Jesus. This weekend, there was a lock-in. A bunch of little girls. There's a couple of moms there too. Thank you, moms. Thank you. When you leave today, the service, there will be a, um, a gift for you at the door. Um, if you haven't had kids, then I would say take one of those as well because I promise you, you have been a motherly influence at some point. So happy Mother's Day. I pray that God would satisfy the longings of your heart today as He satisfied the longings of my heart. As we close in prayer, I would uh, invite you to stand. I have a time of invitation. Come and fill the altar with your prayers, with your longings, with your weeping. Come before the Lord with your longings, and He will satisfy you today. Father, we thank You, God, so much for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is established. Thank You for Your Word that it is true. And God, I lift up the, the men and women in this place today, God, who have a, a longing that needs to be satisfied. Lord, only you can satisfy that longing. Only the gospel can penetrate our hearts and satisfy that longing. God, I pray that you would give someone the courage as you draw them to yourself, God, that they would come to you. Lord, year after year, they've made that trip to the house of the Lord but they haven't making that step towards you. God, we know that no church, no denomination, no priest, no anything can declare that we're right with you, but only you can do that, Lord. So God, I pray for the one in its place today, Lord, that is resting on something that's not from Scripture. They're resting on something that's not from you. They're resting on something else that's, that, they, that they find their hope and their salvation in. Lord, I pray that you would break down those walls and they would find their peace from you today. Lord, I pray for salvation in this place. God, I pray for repentance in this place. And God, I pray for our mothers in this place. God, would you please bless them today, Lord? That they would leave today not sad. That they would leave today knowing that Jesus satisfies every longing of their heart. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your good name. Amen.